Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And Darren, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest today? Dude, I am actually super excited about this. Um, Tony Cook uh, was actually a, an instructor at the school that I went to, Rama Bible College. Um, and Tony would have no memory of me from those days. I was not, um, so we say, an ideal student. Uh, but I always remember Tony's class was the one that I liked. Like if Tony was showing up, even if he was subbing, uh, it actually made me happy. Um, I don't I don't know what that says about me, if it says something about Tony, but, uh, but he was, he was a pastor at the church, but like then for the last 18 and a half years, he has spent, um, traveling the, quite literally the world. Uh, and I say that not because you've been to Turkey, Tony, and not because you've been to Israel or Africa, but because you've been to my hometown, Superior, Nebraska, right. Named with no sense of irony, Superior. Uh, that's the ends of the earth. So Tony has written a book that um, I, well, the minute I saw you post about this, I pre-ordered uh, the history of the super miracles and am I going to say it right? Miracles and supernatural throughout church history. You nailed it, right? it. You nailed it. Good. Cause I've read it twice. You'd think I'd have it right. Um, and so to that end, it was like, uh, I thought Tony would be the perfect guy to help us the first week of our triple threat series to talk about, um, the, the, the spiritual gifts of first Corinthians 12, uh, because he goes all the way back and Tony, you did a really good job. Like, was this something you've been working on a while, by the way? Cause this didn't seem like something you just did like during the pandemic. No, no. Um, I actually, you know, really was never a big church history fan. Um, and, and maybe, you know, I, I was raised in a mainline denominational church And for my first 18 years, it was pretty ritualistic, um, uh, formal, you know, ultra conservative, um, that type of thing. And um, so it was all kind of intellectual, informational, moral and ethical religion. And, And I respected the Bible, believed in God and that type of thing, but it was all in those spheres. And right after high school, a friend took me to a meeting where a guy was praying for the sick and uh, I had a back condition a couple of years from sports and it wasn't debilitating or anything, but, uh, but long story short, God healed me instantly that night Mm -hmm. in response to prayer. And all of a sudden I was brought face to face with the fact that, you know, Christianity was moral and ethical and informational and all that. But there was a personal dimension, a supernatural dimension of the power of God that I had never, ever known or experienced. And what it did was it brought me into a totally different dimension. Uh, You know, I still believe in all the things I learned as a kid, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, all those things. But, But the personal, dynamic, powerful, supernatural element uh, just met me face to face that night. I was in mm. 1977. 
ended up in ministry, wow. Bible school, and that type of thing, and uh, took a church history course, you know, probably the same one you took, uh, Cooper Beatty. Oh, dude, and, he was church history. The dude was like 100 was years old. History. Yeah, like he, he saw most up, of it. He ended up going to be with the Lord when he was up in his, I think, upper 90s. And uh, he passionately loved church history. But I never really fell in love with church history and still, until I started traveling. And you mentioned some of the places, Israel and Turkey, you know, about half the New Testament happened in Turkey. People don't know that. Um, a lot of it, maybe not half, but yeah. uh, Greece and Cyprus and Malta and Crete and uh, Rome and all the, you know, got to go uh, uh, Cairo, Alexandria, all these places where, you know, different things happen throughout the Bible. And every time I'd visit a place, I'd be reminded, God did this here, you know, this miracle happened. And so the history combined with what God had done there historically, and then visiting the Martin Luther sites, the John Calvin sites, the John Wesley sites, George Whitfield, places connected with all these great historical leaders. So I just got... Um, fired up about what God has done for the last 2,000 years. A few years ago, I decided I couldn't take it anymore, and I took a, I, I did a master's degree in church history. Technical term is master's in theological studies with a church history cognate, and uh, I thought, I thought, because it was kind of an evangelical school, you know, Bible-believing, but I didn't really expect there to be much emphasis on the supernatural. Uh, Darren, it was loaded. Uh, every century, you know, as we studied through 2,000 years of church history, every, every century we saw here was a healing revival. Here were gifts of the spirit. This person operated in miracles. And uh, all of a sudden, that personal experience I had back in 1977, I thought, wow, that is no isolated incident. We know the New Testament is full of it. The Old Testament is full of God working supernaturally. But so long story short, I took that master's degree, um, completed that in 2018, and immediately went to putting this book together, drawing from, you know, having to go back and research a lot of things that maybe were just mentioned in seminary, yeah. but then digging deep. And, and that's the result is the book you, you had that you mentioned a little bit ago. Which that makes so much sense because this book is very well researched. Like you don't just drop a quote in uh, without citing it or a source. And um, in Mo, you, this is, uh, I've tell you sometimes about like my childhood, whatever. Cooper Beatty, the guy he's talking about, uh, he did live to like 98 or like a very ripe yeah. old age. Yeah, we used to say he knew Martin Luther personally. Yeah, very possible. <laughs> But he, he would bring, uh, I swear to you, I'm not making this up. He would, uh, he brought a little sock puppet uh, <laughs> that was a, was it monkey? It was like Winky the monkey or something, right? Like, Wimpy. 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 Oh, yeah. I thought it was Winky. Mark Twain said, the older I get, the more vividly I remember things that never happened. Um, but I thought it was Winky. Anyway, Wimpy. Uh, but I Mo, he would literally be, this was his idea for the kids, like, so we wouldn't be terribly bored when he would come speak at the church and he would bring out Wimpy the monkey, uh, which as best I could tell was just a sock. Um, it was arms. totally a sock puppet. Yeah. Yeah. But he was our church history guy. Um, here, here's why I was uh, really intrigued by this, Tony, because 
Um, you, you go all the way back, like Polycarp, Irenaeus. Um, I, I've been in a, uh, a, a weekly group with a guy named Michael Easley. He was, um, he's a friend of our family. He had been a part of our church for a short window. He was uh, president of Moody Bible Institute for a, a, a good 10 year run. And he, but we did a, a, a study and all we did with this group of guys, they were a bunch of seminary dudes and then they let me tag along. Um, uh, but it was about Augustine. And so it was this very deep and profound thing and Augustine, this and um, and, and I would venture to say most of the people in that group would probably fancy themselves uh, more on the cessationist side, if, if not outright. But when you even cite Augustine, like, because uh, I promise that never came up, by the way, in our, <laughs> in our Augustine study. And nobody mentioned Augustine talking about the supernatural. But I guess what I'm saying is that I think most of the guys and girls that I know that would fancy themselves in that cessationist category it's almost like they think that all this stuff stopped sometime after the first apostles. And then I don't know where they think it started again. If we like Azusa was it or, but somewhere it started up again. So there'd be like a 2000 year block of history where there was nothing. And now suddenly there is again, um, which is one of the reasons what, you know, I think that they would say uh, that it ended, which by the way, if, if I'm being honest for a little bit, that cessation thing sounded kind of handy because then you didn't have to really deal with any, it was not easy uh, questions you had. So I'll just say what well, doesn't happen anymore. That was a pretty easy uh, way out. Um, it just doesn't line up with scripture, sadly enough. Um, and uh, I, I think that what I was really intrigued, and I, I have read this twice, and I'm on my third way through, that when you go all the way back, uh, was there one of these guys that really stood out to you uh, as like a shining? So I don't know if it's Irenaeus or Polycarp or uh, Ignatius. Like, yeah. Anyone that stood out specifically? Are, are absolutely fascinating to study. And um, uh, Irenaeus of Lyon uh, was a disciple of Polycarp. And Polycarp was a disciple of John. And when people, some people say, well, yeah, it was kind of when the last apostle died that these gifts you know, went away. Well, that would have been the Apostle John. He died toward the end of the first century. Uh, you mentioned Ignatius of Antioch. He told Polycarp, you know, a good 20 years after John died, he said, he said, Polycarp, they were two pastors. He said, Polycarp, he said, pray for invisible things. Uh, so that they will be made manifest to you, and so that you will lack no spiritual gift. And then Polycarp had a disciple, so this would have been like a spiritual grandson of the Apostle John um, that went to Lyon in France, but he had, he had trained under Polycarp there in, in Smyrna, which is modern-day Izmir in Turkey. And um, Irenaeus, wow, when you look at what he said, you know, he was, he was born, he died in 202, but uh, he made this statement. He said that Jesus' disciples receiving grace from him do in his name perform miracles so as to promote the welfare of other men according to the gift each one has received from him. For some certainly drive out devils. Um, and he talked about others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions, utter prophetic expressions. Others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them, and they are made whole. So, you know, at the beginning of the third century, uh, 
Irenaeus of Lyon is still talking about, you know, miracles that are happening there and healings and deliverances and people, you know, prophetic gifts and things of that nature. So, you know, and, and, and later just, you know, we'll just zero in on, on France, Gaul, it was called in, in ancient days. Um, you have Irenaeus who went there. You had uh, Hilary of Poitiers, Martin of Tours, Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, Peter Waldo, you know, much, much later. And all these guys, you know, the Waldensians who were named after Peter Waldo, they said, um, you know, that uh, anointing with oil for the healing of the sick is, is something that Jesus established and we should still do it. You know, but Bernard and all these guys had healings, miracles that they attested to. So it's just it's just important to, to not exclude, you know, what God has done supernaturally. We appreciate the doctrine. We appreciate the morals, the ethics, you know, things like that. But boy, we can't have a powerless Christianity by excluding the gifts and, and graces of God that he put in the church, if he put them in the church, we don't really have the right to eradicate them or ignore them. Well, Tony, to, to that point, you say, you know, excluding the gifts and, you know, many, we have many friends where, you know, they, they prop up Luther, but they're also cessationists. So where, <laughs> how, how, how do they reconcile that when it was the supernatural and the spirit was, so prevalent in Luther's life. Yeah. Well, Luther himself in uh, what year was, I think it was 1523, preached a sermon on John 14, 12, where uh, Luther said, um, you know, John 14, 12 is the verse where Jesus said, uh, the, the works that I do, you will do also. And greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. Yeah. And so every, nobody has a problem with applying that to the first century. Um, and I like to say it this way. I don't know that anybody ever did greater works qualitatively than Jesus did. But they did greater works numerically, geographically you know, things of that nature than Jesus did. So, uh, but Luther preaching on John 14, 12 said, we must not do what some people do and say that these powers have ceased the power to do the works that Jesus did right. and greater works. And Luther explicitly said in this sermon on John 14, 12, he said, for the same power is in the church still. Wow. Yeah, I don't know that, like, we get pretty fired up about him, you know, the thesis. Uh, there's actually a, a music artist here in Nashville named Steve Camp. Uh, sure, I've heard of that. Him. Yeah, I don't, actually, I don't know what Steve is doing right now, but uh, at one point, he was very much into the reform thing, and uh, there was a moment, I think, in the late 90s where he was like, it was like his version of the 90, whatever, the thesis for the Christian music industry or whatever, but... Um, it seems like that the jet stream that he's from though is very much um, like a, a John MacArthur esque jet stream. Mm -hmm. And the, the funny, the thing about stereotypes is that there generally is a type that they are stereoing, right? Like there, it's, right. there's something in it. And so the angry young reformed guy thing, um, 
there's there's some of that you know like uh, we we run around uh, sometimes with some guys in the Acts 29 network and uh, they're definitely more in the reformed camp and and, and this is 100% a stereotype that's honestly not even fair anymore but when we were first starting in, in the church world uh, I was trying to figure out what jet stream we fit in and I I remember being in that sort of reformed world and the point of all of this as I was saying is they all seem so angry like it was like uh, Jesus died and, and, and was resurrected and, and you know, to save us from our sins. And I'm so angry about it, that I need to, you know, it was something felt missing. And, um, and, and so that sort of felt like Steve, it sort of felt like some of these guys that would, that would say like, they would call me a mystic. Like I think doc easily says, uh, you're kind of a mystic. He says, that's why his wife loves our church, by the way, because we're mystics. Um, <laughs> but did you know that? Mo? <laughs> he said that we, anyway, um, and, and I would say, by the way, Tony, we're kind of, uh, we, we say we're charismatic with seatbelts. So I think that's the language that we have landed on. <laughs> and airbags. Um, Don't forget the airbags. Airbags. Well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Some of the meetings you and I have been in, they needed airbags to keep them alive. But, um, and and I, I feel like that that's part of the journey that our church has been on. And at the same time, at a time like where we are right now, in our culture, this, the, the cultural moment we're in, the historical moment we're in, um, I feel like what the world, if, if they look at us and all they see are angry people, mm-hmm. if they look at us and see that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm puckered up and I'm scared and I'm, then I'm just like, then I'm them. Like there, there's nothing compelling about us. But it feels like that throughout church history that like this, the supernatural that Jesus, in fact, you actually said it, uh, the, the Reinhardt Bonnke quote, uh, and if, I don't know how many of our listeners know who Reinhardt Bonnke is. If nothing else, he's got one of the coolest names in, in the history of, <laughs> of public ministry. Yeah. Uh, Bonnke was a guy, just for, I guess, reference, that would do these giant outdoor events all over Africa, Middle East, and hundreds of thousands of people would come and come to Sometimes Jesus. Sometimes a couple million. Yeah, like literally like a like so many that it was just you, you couldn't see the end of it and he just on well he just went to be with uh with jesus just recently maybe like the last year or so but his statement and this is a guy again that stands up in front of hundreds of thousands millions of people and his thing was you know to be blunt christianity is either supernatural or it's nothing at all we had and still have a supernatural Jesus with a supernatural ministry, creating a supernatural church with a supernatural gospel and a supernatural Bible. Take the miraculous away and you have taken Christianity's life away. Uh, the church becomes an ethical society or a social club when it is intended to be the grid system for transmitting the power of God into this powerless world. You and I are conductors of God's power to the world. I wish I would have read that when I decided to call our church conduit 10 years ago, because I feel like that's what we're supposed to do. Um, In your travels around the world, what, what are the things you have seen personally? So you have experienced it yourself Mm -hmm. being healed. And I have as well, by the way. And one of the things, when I was struggling with my faith in the late nineties that I always, I, I went back to it it was a speaker that actually I, I could say her name and you might know it. her name was Elizabeth Pruitt. Do you remember her? Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, she had double jointed knees. I remember that. Cause when she'd stand out, I was like, I was fifth grade. I'm like, what the world? Like, 
But yeah. anyway, I, there was a moment where she laid hands on me. I had broken my toe in half, like literally broken. It couldn't walk. And it sounds ridiculous, but it, but it was, it was healed like 100%. I walked out of there that in fifth grade going, I don't know what just happened, but my toe is not broken anymore. Later in my life, that came back many times. Oh, but he, I know he healed my toe. So something's out there. Like there, there's some kind of a God because that happened. What are the things that you've seen personally in your travels that have been moments like, God, I saw that, that I can never forget that. Yeah. You know, one of the most memorable, because I'm a teacher. You I know, know. Yes. Paul talked in 1 Corinthians 12 about different people having different kinds of gifts and ministries and all that. And he, he bluntly asked the question, are all workers of miracles? And the implied answer is no. Do all have gifts of healings? Are all teachers? You know, that type of thing. So we do understand that, that any of us can see, you know, for example, according to the James chapter 5, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick. Billy Graham talks about his sister-in-law got healed that way, that his sister-in-law got healed through the laying on of hands and anointing with oil. So hmm. we believe that that can happen in any church, any believer. It doesn't necessarily mean that those people praying have gifts of healings or working of miracles. But for example, I've been in a few meetings. You mentioned Reinhard Bonnke, dear heavens. Um, you know, they have miracle testimony after miracle testimony, but I've had, I've had the privilege of being with a, a guy. He is born in Pakistan, raised Muslim, became born again, uh, put in prison and a mental institution for having accepted Jesus, uh, was able to get out of the country, uh, married, came to Sweden, married a girl, came to the States, uh, attended Rama, and today he's a missionary evangelist to multiple nations. He's in, I believe he's in Tanzania right now, but I've been in some of his meetings in um, uh, Zambia in particular, and uh, I've seen him pray, you know, mass prayers for the sick, like T.L. Osborne used to do and that type of thing. And, and I've seen 50 people in his meetings that I've been in personally, uh, 50 people healed of deafness and come to the platform and give testimony. And, um, and then from that moment, you know, just miracles start popping. We always think of the, you know, the more spectacular things and yeah. thank God for those because those are, there's the Bible talks about signs and a sign. If you're hungry, a McDonald's sign tells you there's food inside the restaurant. Signs are to draw attention to something substantive, but you know, there's not only what we call the power gifts where people are healed and supernaturally delivered and things of that nature. But there, there's what we call the revelation gifts, where mm. things are revealed to people. And you mentioned, my, I've been to Turkey seven times. The first time I preached in um, Istanbul, um, uh, the, in, my interpreter had been, um, you know, that country is 99.9 some percent Muslim, many kind of secular uh, but um, my interpreter had been an individual who was part of the culture and part of the upbringing that everyone had there, but he was hungry for more. And um, he had one night, he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw a being, a person 
that said, I want you to go and gave him a street address. And this is a dream. And so after work the next day, he finds in Istanbul is a city of millions and millions of people, but he finds that address and he goes up and he knocks on the door and um, he didn't know why he was there. And he told the person who answered the door, I was told in a dream to come to this address. And uh, the person smiled and said, oh, we're so glad you're here. Please come in and sit down. We're about to show a movie to some of our friends. They were showing the Jesus film. And uh, when and they had, they're just, you, you know, the old projector that shot on the wall. And when Jesus in the movie, when the character Jesus walked onto the screen, this guy stands up and screams, that was the man who told me to come here. That was the man in my dream. And they had to calm him down, but he listened to the movie, got born again. So, you know, just that may be more of an exceptional type of thing. Well, I, but see, Tony, I, here's when you say that, we have in uh, our church family, especially people that would be listening to this, know that our church family has invested uh, heavily in uh, what's known as the 1040 window. So North Africa, in, uh, Middle East. And that, what you're describing, uh, we have uh, a church, that, uh, a family of, that's lived like in our area, but they've lived in North Africa for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And they oversee a network of 250 underground churches. And mm -hmm. they have said that in the, when they first arrived in the Middle East, their thing was we were looking for a people of peace, a person of peace. The idea Jesus said, you shake your dust off your feet, go until you find a person of peace. But in the last 10 years, they've said that that's changed now. And we're asking, have you had a dream? We're looking for those who have had the dream. And they have encountered, including a guy that leads the churches that we, that we help finance, have had some version of what uh, somebody appeared to them and spoke, uh, it's usually a man in white, something very specific. Um, a lot of times there's a scripture involved. There's a specific instruction involved. Mm -hmm. And what's wild about it that I'm loving. And here's why this is important. I wanted to hash in on this is that um, it's a sign of something substantive. Um, and it's, it's what's happening is that, I mean, like with Paul, one of the most prolific, you know, Christian killers in history converted becomes one of the most unstoppable evangelists in history. Uh, some of these people that we're the most afraid of when, when Jesus takes them on, like they become unstoppable. Like there, there are testimonies right now coming out of the Middle East of former, and these are like confirmed stories. This isn't just like whatever, but uh, young men and women, former ISIS extremists who have come to Christ and they're now going to what they call the land of Daniel, which is Iraq. Um, our friend uh, Grady lives a uh, mutual friend there, but that's actually not even who I'm talking about. This is a whole different thing because it's down in Babylon area. They're going to the land of Daniel to preach the gospel mm -hmm. because of a man appearing to them in dreams uh, has come to them. So you, you I, I like the way that you, you uh, I think it may be an old Kenneth Hagin line or whatever that we get so caught up in the spectacular that we miss the supernatural or there's a line like that that I'm, I'm butchering. Yeah. But oh. he, he said, he, that's, you know, you said it well, he said, he's, he said uh, the, he was talking about guidance and he said the inward witness is oh, yeah, yeah, that. As, as biblical as dreams, visions, and so on. 
And he said, some people get caught up looking for the spectacular and they miss the supernatural. And, you know, we talk about these kind of things where people have these, you know, kind of a Saul of Tarsus experience, you know, on the road to Damascus. But, you know, the, the subtle, and this is one of the things we pointed out, the subtle workings of the Holy Spirit are just as legitimate as the dramatic. And um, I, one of the things that I experienced, and like I said, I'm, I'm of a more pastoral teaching type ministry. So I have not had the hyper dramatic things that my friend uh, Christopher has had, you know, the things I've witnessed in his crusades in Africa. But you know what, uh, Darren, I saw as a pastor, an associate pastor visiting people in the hospital. Um, and it, connect, it reminds me of something Augustine said. Augustine said, the Holy Spirit works within so that the medicine externally applied will have a good result. Mm. So it wasn't Oral Roberts that talked about joining faith and medicine. It was Augustine. And Augustine wow. himself, you mentioned him, he, he documented 70, seven zero miracles that he witnessed in his own sphere of ministry influence. He said, I have seen so many miracles I cannot record them all. Wow. Now, cessationists like to refer to his earlier years when he was kind of a cessationist, was not kind of, he was, but he had later experiences that convinced him otherwise. But in my ministry as a pastor, Darren, I can't tell you how many times I would pray for somebody before a surgery. One of the very first people I prayed for before a surgery had seven tumors disappear overnight and they canceled the surgery the next morning. Um, but I had many others where they went ahead and had the surgery. And, and the doctors would say, you're going to be in the hospital for eight days, 10 days recovering. They would call me after three or four days and say, hey, Brother Cook, I just want to let you know I'm home. The doctor said they've never seen anybody recover this quickly. You know, um, you know, they say I'm way ahead of schedule. You know, well, well we don't like to see, you know, all instantaneous, miraculous, but, but we'll take, we'll take that too, you know, and Augustine said the Holy Spirit works within so that when the medicine is externally applied, it will have a good result. Tony, I like what you said about the subtle workings of the Holy Spirit. Um, that's, that's powerful and a really good reminder. I, I grew up in a cessationist denomination. And uh, thankfully, I'm not, I'm not there any longer. Um, but that's what I grew up in. So for, for you, when you teach, you do a lot of teaching, what's, what's kind of the path of entry into someone whose heart and mind is still there? What's the best way to move the needle to point them towards these subtle workings of the Holy Spirit for them to consider the supernatural? Yeah. Well, the, the way you uh, enter is the exact opposite of what I did when I was 18 years old <laughs> and had just gotten filled with the Spirit. Uh, you know, the, the joke has been made, and I'm not sure it's all that much of a joke. And I, I don't know if it's that way anymore, but, but I came into the charismatic movement in, the, in 1977. And man, there was such an outpouring People were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. 
being healed, speaking in tongues, prophesying. I mean, it was a, it was a movement. It was a revival. And um, having been brought up, I was never taught against it. I was just never taught anything about it. So I was kind of a cessationist by assumption, hmm. not really a cessationist by conviction. In other words, I wasn't trying to convince anybody else. I'd never been told these things weren't for today. I just assumed that they weren't because I'd never seen one, never heard about one. Our church never, ever talked about it. I believed those things happened 2,000 years ago, but I just didn't know that they happened today. It was all assumption. So when I got spirit-filled, I was a little bit mad that my church had never told me that. And so in in all the wisdom of being 18 and, you know, immature, great zeal, no wisdom, you know, I just made it a point. I was going to argue all of my friends. I was going to show them you're wrong. I'm right. <laughs> and I, I offended a lot of people and had no good results. You know, William Seymour, the, uh, uh, great figure in American history, church history, who's associated with Azusa Street, said this. He said, the Pentecostal power, when you sum it all up, is just more of God's love. And so, you know, so many people say, well, if you have to choose between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, you know, the fruit's more important. And, you know, I fly all the time, and that would be like saying, well, if you have to choose between the right wing of the airplane or the left wing of the airplane, you know, if I'm flying, <laughs> I want both wings to be so solidly affixed. God never said, choose ye this day, you know, which you shall have the gifts or the fruit. But, but I think, number one, for the first couple of years of my life, I was so enamored and thrilled about tongues. That I honestly, I made a big mistake. I made more about tongues than I did about Jesus. I, I was immature and, and I, uh, you know, I probably contributed to a lot of those stereotypes of crazy charismatics and, you know, imbalanced and unhealthy, you know, probably I was kind of like the goofy Corinthians, you know. Um, but the thing is, excesses and extremes, which the Corinthians obviously had, did not cause Paul to you know, want to quench the spirit. He just wanted them to grow in wisdom and not be spiritual babes. You know, they were all about the gifts of the spirit, but they were still carnal and immature. Paul said they were babes in Christ. So I think one of the best things we can do is just be grown-up Christians. You know, don't center on the gifts of the spirit, center on Jesus. Don't center on the gifts of the spirit, center on the great commission, center on the great commandment. And I believe the tools, which, which the problem is, is that when we're young and immature, the gifts of the spirit are more toys than tools. And huh. some people, unfortunately, it's still like that. They, you know, you, you don't put a chainsaw into the hand of a, of a two-year-old. You know, and, um, and, and, and we could jump into some of the, you know, craziness, even in the world today, yeah. you know, uh, that's being perpetrated by people who are claiming, you know, to be inspired by God and that type of thing. And they're just saying and doing, you know, ultra goofy detrimental stuff. 
But um, Paul, you know, when he had a church like that, he, he didn't tell them to not exercise the gifts of the Spirit. He tried to guide them pastorally and with biblical wisdom how to use the gifts properly for edification. He didn't try to eradicate them from use among believers. So you, you sort of t- touched on something. And, and by the way, if this is a hot potato that you would rather pass on, we could totally edit this out. Um, but I'd rather you say it and I could hide behind you. Um, <laughs> it just sounds like more fun. Um, the last year, it's been longer than that, but it's been very uh, loud the last year or so. There have been a lot of people listening to people who call themselves prophets who have very confidently uh, prophesied that Donald Trump was going to win this election. Uh, They would point to uh, Kim Clement, who uh, has obviously, he passed on, had a spectacular mullet well into his ministry. That is a a powerful observation right there. Well, it it was the glory, the Shekinah mullet that just (laughs) flowed, but... um, and no dis- I don't know the guy, so I don't mean any disrespect. Right. Uh, but uh, he was one of them. Uh, Dutch Sheets is a name that I've heard a lot. And I mean, there were people that I had had conversations with up until literally the day of the election who were holding on to that hope because of a prophet. Someone said they were a prophet prophesying this. And so it's really done some interesting um, gymnastics. People are doing some weird theological gymnastics right now and contortionism um, yeah you know the difference between gymnastics and contortionism, contortionism. yeah this yeah. is more like the magician squeezing that person in the box that you don't know how they fit and all that but somehow yeah. they still manage to uh and, and and in fairness there were a couple of these guys that i actually did hear uh one of the guys from bethel uh in reading and i can't remember it's jeremy or something i'm not uh i'm not up on my profits but um he specifically, like a month ago, like apologized. I got it wrong. I'm sorry, yeah. but yeah. I've not heard that from very many. Like, what, like, what's your take on that? Like, you, you are a teacher. It's one of the reasons why I was so excited to get you because I, I do feel like you're very thoughtful. You, you approach this from an uh, intellectually honest uh, approach, but you're surrounded by people like we are. Like, what are you saying to people right now who have maybe been a part of that or are struggling with this prophet? Or are they really a prophet? Did they get it wrong? Where are you coming at yeah, that from? That's such a good question. You know, Paul told uh, the Thessalonican church, he said, um, he said, don't quench the spirit. He said, don't despise prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Darren, you and I both came from a background where we were taught the, the preeminence of scripture. Yes. And we were also taught that there are gifts of the spirit and there are genuine apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So I've tried to use that, that parameter uh, paradigm there in, in first Thessalonians five. I don't want to quench the spirit. I don't want to despise prophesyings, but I want to prove all things and hold fast that which is good. If we can understand that that prophecy, number one, 
in the New Testament, prophecy is not primarily designed to predict the future. Um, prophecy is designed to edify, exhort, and comfort believers. It was certainly given to reinforce scriptural principles. Brother Hagen, who you and I both studied under, said that this, he said this in his book, The Gift of Prophecy, uh, Seven Steps to Judging Prophecy. And I think he said it in another book or two, that God really is not going to tell you the winner of a political race or a horse race. Yep. So um, I'm not <laughs> saying it's, it's impossible that God would ever tell somebody something like that, but that is really not the purpose of prophecy as a general rule. Now you do have in the New Testament, you have a guy named Agabus who predicted that there would be a famine. And um, so the saints were able to take uh, preemptive action and send, you know, charitable relief to the area that was going to be affected. But I don't see, I do not see Darren in the New Testament. And, and I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I, I deliberately have not listened to a lot of specific things. So I am not trying to condemn anybody. And I know you're not either. Um, but um, I have seen so many people, um, boy, they've gotten so worked up over this. And many people are still in what I believe is really serious denial, you know, and, uh, and that type of thing. Um, and I think our mandate is to number one, focus on what the Bible says. Our, I, I just preached uh, Sunday that, that the church is built on three things. Number one, the great commitment that Jesus said, I will build my church. Number two, the great commission. Number three, the great commandment. And I think if we will stay focused on those, that gives us more than enough to do that's going to be constructive and we're going to have good traction. Whereas chasing all these extraneous prophecies, which obviously many of them have turned out to be false. Um, again, I'm not saying, you know, condemn everybody who, who among us have not made mistakes, but I really do appreciate the brothers who have apologized and said, hey, maybe I was overzealous, maybe I was misguided. Um, you know, sometimes people can have an impression, you know, because maybe they prefer the person or they prefer their policies and they feel so strongly about it that they think, well, man, I feel so strongly about this. God, that must be God speaking to me. Hmm. But I think one of the things we have in this recent situation is that people began to feed off of each other. You know, a, a few people made a prophetic statement or whatever. And, and so that emboldened other people to kind of pile on, and I'm going to say it too. And um, we just remember, um, you know, one of the things that, that Brother Hagen always taught was, hey, if I say something and it doesn't line up with the Bible, then don't accept it. And uh, when people go out way beyond the Bible and start making these predictions, if they're right, wonderful, if they're wrong, then they should be humble and admit it, yeah. you know? And acknowledge that. But, but boy, there are a lot of Christians right now that are really confused. You know, I read about one kid who, um, and this, this to me is kind of the thing that we really should look at. Some young kid, young believer heard all these prophets proclaiming that, uh, you know, Donald Trump was going to be the president, even after, 
you know, the electoral college on what December 6th had voted it would be Joe Biden and um, or January 6th, whatever the date was. And but this young man thought, well, this is going to be a great witness to my unbelieving family. I'm going to tell them all that God has said that Donald Trump is going to be president. So he tells all of his unbelieving family that thinking that this will be a real witness and a real testimony, and that when the results are all miraculously overturned, that it will be a positive witness to their family, to his family. Well, January 20th came and went, and Donald Trump was not miraculously made president, and now that young man is saying, you know, I don't know if I can ever talk to my family about God again, because I've shot my credibility. And so the misuse and abuse and even misdirection of some of these things, um, on one hand, I want to be totally forgiving and, you know, encouraging and all that. But boy, we really do need to, you know, tighten some things up here. And I think I think if the church doesn't use this as a learning opportunity, uh, the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. And we need to judge ourselves about these things, about our gullibility. I don't want to be cynical, but I don't want to be gullible. I want to find that middle road. The the thing that I always appreciated about Kenneth Hagin, um, and obviously, you know, people take their shots uh, at at him for different reasons. And, but the thing that, that I never, that is not fair at all about him, because I think I always, I still appreciate this about him is that, is what you said, that if it's, if it, it, it will never contradict God's word. Mm-hmm. Like you're right. There was a preeminence of the word of God in, in our climate. And so um, in some of the more modern quote unquote profit things, you, you, you know, like they wouldn't necessarily say out loud that uh, this usurps scripture, but they also wouldn't necessarily back away from it. Uh, if it, if it doesn't agree with scripture which is exactly where Mormonism came from. It's where Islam came from. Like that's a very dangerous, it's progressive Christianity now is that, well, that's the best they understood. And now we know more, we have a further revelation. Right. Um, that is not prophecy for today. And it's certainly, um, I do think that you're right. Not, I'll bet any one of these guys, I don't again, I don't know them, but you know, they, they didn't mean to go out and cause harm. Right. But, I'm sure most, right. Most, if not all are really good. Yeah. Yeah, but if you you can have a really good heart, right? Be really sincere and be sincerely wrong if you, if you right. don't have a foundation in, in the word. And that's, uh, I don't, I, I feel like that more than ever uh, in, in my lifetime, uh, the need for uh, um, an expectation. I guess I I said that a, a couple times even on a Sunday. What I what I miss about my youth, um is and I maybe that's why God keeps dragging me overseas so much because I'd be <laughs> insufferable otherwise but is the expectation that God can and does move today mm-hmm. um I, I miss that from my youth that faith where the cynical uh version of me uh, has come along and and we've, we've had the blessing over the years of having some pretty fun and, and really wise people be a part of the church in different levels and one of them was a guy named Jerry Rankin and uh, Jerry was the president of the International Mission Board for 10 years. Um, 
And in fact, when he became the president of the International Mission Board in the early 2000s, uh, it was on the front page of the Tennessee and the, the, the Baptist Mission Board voted that if uh, a couple of things, and one of them was that if you are a missionary and you have a, I believe they refer to it as a personal prayer language, like you can't uh, have that, like it was a violation, you had to be able to sign the paperwork. And, um, and, and this is sort of reading between the lines, but some of what they were doing was trying to hamstring uh, Jerry because Jerry had spent 25 years in Indonesia. And you know, I asked Jerry, he'd spoke at our church a couple times, like, you know, what do you do in those situations? Like the debates of this and that. And he's like, well, you know, thing in Indonesia, Darren, like nobody was debating over there. Like when you, when that demon came out, like we weren't asking, well, I wonder if that really happened or not. Or when that cancer is growth disappeared, like we weren't debating whether God still does miracles because we just saw one. <laughs> and I thought, uh, that's Indonesia, but in America, like, I feel like a very pure move of God's spirit, uh, not about politics, about power, but just out of need. And maybe that's the gift that we're getting right now is that we suddenly once again have been uh, taught and learned the hard way that, you know, politics is not going to save us. Um, Our government's local state uh, isn't going to do it. And, you know, we've been praying here at Conduit of like, what, what would that look like for us in, in America? And, and so actually the last question that I ha- kind of have for you, and I don't know if you have an answer for it, but why, why do you think, and I, this might be a thus saith the Tony, right? Not necessarily thus saith the Lord, but why is it that we have seen, uh, you see things in Pakistan or Nepal or wherever. And I've seen it. Like, I mean, in Uganda, the first time I was there, ch- uh, church planning, you plant a church in a village that's never heard the gospel, whatever. And I mean, the demons come out of the woodwork. It's unbelievable. Like, but we haven't seen that here as much. What, what is your take from the teacher mind of Tony Cook? Yeah. Well, you asked that this might be a, thus saith Tony Cook, and that's pretty much what you're going to get. This is yeah. my theory, which uh, it's just one angle. You know, in America and in Europe, we are products of the Renaissance, the age of reason, the the age of Mm. modernism, the renunciation of the supernatural. And when you go back to, for example, go back to the reformers, um, that was at the time when there was also secular thought. and whereas the Christians were saying, let's, there, there was so much, um, gosh, what's the term I want to use, Darren? There were so much um, supernatural that was kind of questionable. You know, it came from praying to the dead and uh, praying to relics and, you know, things like that, that the reformers went with sola scriptura, only the scripture. And in doing that, they kind of shut the door on what they felt were a lot of superstition-based mm. claims. But what they did was they threw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. And see, you know, we talked about the reformers. Not only did the reformers tend, now Luther had some definite experiences, and I, I didn't go into detail earlier. He prayed for two of his associates. Friedrich Myconius and uh, Philip Melanchthon, who were both brought off the deathbed by his prayers. So Luther saw and experienced some miraculous answers to prayer. But anyway, the other reformers, um, Calvin in particular, not only did they 
in going with only scripture, their view was we're going to reform the church. They not only kind of turned their back on the supernatural, they kind of turned their back on the great commission. Yes. They not only thought that miracles were the, for the first century, but they thought going into all the world and preaching the gospel was for the first century. So the reformers did some good things, but they missed it in some areas. It wasn't later until Zinzendorf that the missions thing really exploded. But anyway, getting back to your question, American and European Christianity has been so influenced by a culture that exalts reason and science, whereas what is called the majority world which is Africa, Asia, South America, the majority world, they are, more, they are more open. You don't have to go into a village in Africa and convince somebody that demons are real, right? Okay? that the supernatural is real. I think Satan has totally different strategies for a, a people that have been uh, intellectually uh, elevated you know they're so smart they don't need god anymore you know what i'm saying by that right as opposed to people who are perhaps more um uh primal in their thinking and so satan uh c.s lewis said that god is equally or satan is equally pleased with the modernist and the magician Yes. Meaning whether a person is hyper intellectual and doesn't even believe in the supernatural or whether they're obsessed with the supernatural, Satan likes both. And so that is why I believe that when you go into these other countries that are, you know, we use the term not developed in terms of some of the social and educational yeah. aspects, uh, they are more prone to belief. But also, let me say this evangelism biblically has all, I'm, I'm sorry, the gifts of the spirit, the healing power of God, miracles have always operated best on what I call the cutting edge of evangelism. You look at the book of Acts and let's just take Paul, for example, the cripple at Lystra, probably a guy who had never heard the gospel before. And miracles were really given primarily to confirm the preaching of the gospel, to be signs and wonders. Once people have been saved a long time, I'm not saying God wouldn't do a miracle, but even in Paul's life, you see that when people became real familiar with Paul, Paul doesn't seem to be able to have pulled that out quite the same way. Yeah. He told Timothy, take a little wine for your frequent stomach ailments. He, told, he said about Epaphroditus, Philippians 2, well, he got sick, close to death, but God, man, God just had mercy on him. And then he said, Trophimus, I've left sick in Miletus. So it seems like Paul didn't have these super miraculous things happening with his close associates, but the miraculous tended to happen on the cutting edge of, the evan of evangelism. And that's really what Brother Hagin said. He said, the Lord told him, I did not put my gifts in the church for the church to heal itself with. Hmm. I put my gifts in the church for the church to heal the world with. Hmm. So just a thought. Yeah, well, as I actually thought, that was literally something I had not considered. Um, 
before because that it does resonate. Um, it, it seems that the temptation and the proclivity around uh, here would be, well, you don't have enough faith. And so we just need to pray harder, pray longer, pray deeper. You know, it's, which makes it a very much a works-based thing. If I do this, then I can get that, which is, it seems like an oversimplification and, and it certainly harm people's faith. And on the other hand, when you do get into these places like, I mean, the first time I went to Uganda to plant a church, I, I thought I was just praying for the meal, which then turned into, oh, no, now you're going to proclaim the gospel. And there was like a thousand people and, you know, I, and then again, I think we're done. And at that point, Alex Matala, uh, great guy, he, he runs in a lot of the same circles uh, we have. And, and he says, and now we cast out demons. And I, my daughter, who's 25 now, she was 16. And I, I leaned over, hey, Maddie, you might want to step back. It's about to get real in here. And, and it did. And I mean, just with that statement, all of a sudden, this woman stands up and she shrieks and this dude falls around. And it's like it. And, you know, what I came to the conclusion was, hey, we literally just put a flag in the ground that Jesus is Lord in this pagan, mystical, witchcraft, supernatural, dark city. And they're just not thrilled about that. Like, that's mm -hmm. not something that they're going to be excited about. Yeah. And to watch somebody, when you said what you just said was the, to heal the world, like to, to see a woman who was writhing and in terror and afraid walk out at peace what a gift that is to her yeah. like she was free it's not a dog and pony show right it's it's not like david blaine's street magic like this has literally changed her life and six seven years later i still visit her house when i go to kawalira village in you know western uganda because jesus set her free and you know where we've when I think of it here and I do, we take people with us. I love for people to experience it and to see it and to honestly, to see it with their own hands, to see that Jesus still moves. And, and I, at the same time, hunger for it here. And I do have to ask myself sometimes, am I, what, am I hungering for it for the right reasons? Sure. And, um, and, and I don't know that there's any such thing as a pure motive. I think there's primary motives. Right. And so I hope that my primary motive is that it's, it's for good. Um, and, and I guess I, I think that through, um, I don't know. Here's what it is, Tony. I look back and, and I think that I would be the same. Like the gift of teaching is where the Lord has landed in my life. And so to, the, the, I'm totally comfortable staying in that lane. Uh, I'm well past most of the insecurities that I felt, you know, because I always wanted to be the, whatever the evangelist guy. Um, and at the same time, though, I want my people to know that just because that isn't my wheelhouse or gift, that it doesn't mean I don't believe in it or expect it. Right. And so part of where we're leading our church now is to say that um, open, opening it up to where people come in with an expectation. Again, seatbelts, um, decency. I'm a 100% decency and order guy, you know, from 1 Corinthians 14. Um, and yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, like our, our language here that I'm kind of using is that uh, love is right in between chapter 12 and chapter uh, 14, both of which is deal with tongues, spiritual gifts. And so you know, the, love is the meat in a spiritual gift sandwich. Like either mm -hmm. side of those is the bread. And without it, if you just got love in the middle, you, you're having keto. Like there's, there's still meat there uh, of love, but if, <laughs> you know, I like, I like bread, man. So you throw sure. yeah. the gifts on either side. It, it's a great sandwich. Give um, us this day, our daily bread. bread. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. We're at an hour. Let me ask you, Tony. Can I throw in one more thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw, throw whatever you want. Bit. 
tying into what you said about what you experienced in that uh, Ugandan setting, atmosphere was such an important part of Jesus' mentality when he ministered. Mm. Um, he would create atmosphere through teaching. And he would build faith in people through teaching. Hmm. The Bible says that when he went to his own town, that he could not do any yes. works there because of their unbelief. One city, ah, where was it? It was Bethsaida, I think, where a blind man came and wanted Jesus to heal him. Jesus took him out of the city before he would pray for him. And, and, and when he prayed and ministered for, to him healing, he told the man, don't go back into that city. There was an atmosphere, I think, again, some of my thought, but I think there is in certain atmospheres of unbelief, people think, well, if God still healed today, he could just do it anywhere, anytime. And the, well, it didn't happen that way with Jesus. That's fair. I mean, Jesus that's could not heal. It doesn't say he would not in his hometown since he could not. because of their unbelief. So what does the next verse say? So he went around all the villages teaching. People thinking right, believing right, because he couldn't operate supernaturally where basically people had the brakes on him. Wow. Well, Tony, your your teaching gift once again uh, is coming through strong. Um, I I still remember, man, when when Patsy Busey's uh, 30th, the anniversary, maybe. Absolutely. You were there. I was there. And upstairs, upstairs in the celebration at that. Uh, you remember that. Been. Oh, remember yeah. That. Um, but here's what I remember uh, you did that day. And I walked out thinking that dude is a pro, man. He, <laughs> because we all go in there and the proclivity is to start to celebrate everybody that's gone on and done whatever great things. But what you did that night was you taught and you taught, you spoke specifically to those who stayed mm-hmm. and you talked to like, I, like Marsha Klein, like there are people there, uh, Trish Gonzalez, you don't even probably know their names, but, but they stayed John Albright, right? They stayed. And I thought, wow, that, I don't know. I walked out thinking that was just so, I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Great. Praise God. But it was just smart. Like you just did such a great thing because you gave a gift to the ones that uh, had sacrificed so much and had been given so little mm. credit because that church still exists. It does. Yeah. You know? and and it, wonderful, loving people there. It is. And it's a fascinating little microcosm of humanity. And it's, it, if had those people not stayed, mm-hmm. the work would have ceased. You know, if everybody did what I did, I mean, I got in my car 1989 and I jumped in my little piece of junk and got out of town that night. Uh, with Troy Covey, actually, uh, mm-hmm. I stayed at Diana's house that night. Sure. Um, and but if everybody did that, like, and and people would celebrate, and then you would emulate that. Oh, I want to be like, I want to go. And, but there's the reward for those, and I happen to believe, and I, I this is thus say at the Darren, a reward for those who stayed, uh, maybe even greater than those who left because of the just thankless nature of what it was. I, mean, I just I remember that and thought um, that it was just so kind and, and and was a blessing to those people and i want so we're um it's actually been quiet you haven't heard it the reason we're where we are right now is our building is completely under construction like we we decided hey there's a pandemic let's build a new sanctuary um great time for that and uh but once it's done that's why i'm in here there's no noise i was afraid you're gonna hear like saws and stuff 
but once it's done, I, I, I want, uh, I mean this when I say I want you and, um, and Lisa, and maybe, uh, maybe your girl come with us. So they, people don't know this. How can they find your daughter? So we're in music city, USA. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, your daughter is Lori. wait, is your daughter Lori? What's your daughter's name? Laura L A U R A. Okay. So I'm not, okay. Uh, and Tony, she turns out to be like pretty doggone good. Like she's, She's, she's good. I'm, I'm very prejudiced. You know, I'm her dad and I'm looking up her website right now. Yeah. I was just going to say, give us that information. They don't care about your books now. Like how do we find your daughter? They want to know about my daughter. Yeah. It's just Laura Cook, L-A-U-R-A Cook, C-O-O-K-E dot org. Yeah. And so, and as a, yeah, you're the father, you're supposed to like her, but let me just affirm it as a, as a uh, music industry wash up. Uh, she actually pretty she good, man. Like you, you, she, you should be proud of her. She's good. So maybe here's what we do. We'll have you come speak. And if she'll come do worship that weekend, how about that? Oh, she'd do it in a heartbeat. She loves to travel. This, this pandemic has been hard for her because she, oh. uh, she, you know, like she loves New York city and um, you know, she just, it's been hard for her to be. Oh, I'm with you. Nailed down. I Mo can tell you that I've been, uh, I've been a pain in the butt because I've been locked down for a year. I'm usually gone like multiple weeks a year overseas and uh, it get a little grumpy after a while. So I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, I, I get a fix this weekend. I'm preaching in the Middle East online. Okay. Close. <laughs> Who are you? Who's it with Matt and Julie Beamer? No, it's not. Um, I, I really can't use the name here. Okay. No, it's fine. Okay. Um, but it's, it's, I'll That's just fine. say it's in Turkey. That's fine. Dude, can I tell you a really cool story? And then I'll let you go. Uh, sure. Israel March of this year we were uh at a little group and we get to the northern border of Syria where you can see Lebanon on one side Syria I think it's Tel Dan and I'm with um our little nickel and dime group there's like 25 of us and I said hey you know what I just really feel led right now let's pray for Matt and Julie in Lebanon and, and Matt and the two Matt there's like two Matt's and Julie's it's very confusing sure so I got, we're all, we're praying and we're, you know, all hands laid, you know, right out there. And we get, it was a pretty long prayer for me. And uh, I, I get done and there was nobody standing there when we started. I get done, I turn around and there's like this little group of about four people, five people. And they said, did you say club 1040? I was like, I, I did. Yes. And they said, and the kid goes, I work for them. Matt and Julie Beamer. Oh my goodness. He just happened to be in Israel, happened to be at Tel Dan at that very moment. Uh-huh. With uh, and a couple of them were from uh, Sand Springs, uh, Chad Stewart Reach Church. I saw them again when I was there last year, and uh-huh. so I thought, I don't know, you blame it on the Holy Spirit or blame it on what, but it was one of those moments of like, okay, that we were definitely supposed to, supposed to pray for them. Tony, how can they find you online? What's the best way to get yeah, to Tony Cook? Kind of like my daughter's, it's just tonycook.org, and it's T O N Y C O O K E. There's an right. E on the cook.org, O R G. Is that the best place to buy books? So this book, Supernatural History, is that the best place or is Amazon? What's the best place? In my opinion, it's the best place to buy. Got it. Seriously, but those who order through Amazon regularly, those that get Kindle, you can certainly go that route and feel just as happy. Let me ask you real quick, financially, does it help you more if they order it through your site? Oh, it does help a little bit more. But yeah, we yeah. So order it through, he's not going to tell you this, order it through Tony's site. We want to bless Tony with him, so. Um, Mo, can you tell them, uh, how to, how to find us on the web and stay in touch with us? 
Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you, Tony. Thanks for spending time with us today. It, it means Thanks, a lot man. to us and it means a lot to our church family. It especially means a lot to Darren. That you would take time to do this. And for those listening, thank you for tuning in again this week. Um, as you know, you can always find out what's happening at conduitchurch.com. You can tune in each and every Sunday at 10 a.m. and watch our live stream if you don't join us live in person. And we're just thankful that you spent time listening with us today. Um, these next few weeks we're going to continue to dive through our triple threat series and I'm just super grateful to have tony uh, help us launch into this so thank you gentlemen and uh for those listening we will hear from you soon <laughs>